as your pastor, one of my primary responsibilities is to faithfully preach and teach uh, the Word of God. Peter, or Jesus said to Peter, he said, Peter, if you love me, feed my sheep. In other words, he was saying, if you love me, then show me you love me by teaching and preaching my Word to my people. So for a pastor, the act of preaching is in direct correlation to his love both for Christ and for his people. And uh, I say this because I love Christ and I love you. And because of it, it's why I spend so much time every week in preparation for today, for Sunday morning, for the preaching event. Many, many hours are spent in preparation, much of that time reading, carefully reading and rereading uh, the Scriptures, trying to uh, observe what's in the text, what's around it, to understand it in its original context of when it was written, spending a lot of time in the original languages and, and just trying to get my arms around what is it that God is saying here? What is the truth of God's Word that He's trying to convey then? And then very carefully taking that truth and then begin to formulate it into a sermon to be able to deliver you that truth in the clearest way that I possibly can. And this takes many, many hours of preparation to be able to do. So in light of all of my preparation for this morning, let me ask you a question. How much time do you spend in preparing to receive and hear the Word of God each Sunday morning? Don't answer that out loud. Let me answer it for you. I think for many folks, the answer to that would be not very much. In fact, I think some would probably say, Pastor, uh, not to get you and break your heart, but the truth of the matter is, if you knew of everything that is on my plate, if you knew everything that I was facing, if you knew as busy as I was throughout the week, you would come to understand that I'm good just to physically be here. You'd be proud of me for that. And let me say this, I am proud of you for physically being here. I am grateful that you've come to hear the Word of God preached today, but I have to believe that God would want more than us just to be physically present when the Word of God is being preached. I imagine that God would want us to be fully engaged, listening intently to what it is that God wants to say to us. Now, the reason for all of this preparation, and let me make sure that you understand this, at least on my part, to prepare for these mornings um, is not simply because it's my job. Now, I, I want to make sure you understand, I love preaching, and I am so unbelievably grateful, not only to God, but to you, to allow me to do what I do for a living, to spend my time in the Word, flushing it out, learning it, and then being able to share with you every week what it is that God is teaching me. I am grateful for it, not complaining about it. But why is it that I, that I would spend 10, 12, 20, 30 hours working to prepare for this particular event. It's for one reason. It's because of my convictions. It's because of what I believe about God's word. It's because of what I believe preaching is. And it's because of what I believe that God wants to do in the life of those who are going to hear the preached word of God. That's what drives me to be physically, mentally, and spiritually prepared for Sunday morning. But what I've learned over a period of time of ministry is that it's just not enough. It's not enough for me to have a high view of Scripture, a high view of preaching, or for me even to be prepared in every way that I possibly can for Sunday morning. It takes the same dedication and the same convictions on your part. 
It's you that has to believe and have a high view of Scripture and have a high view of preaching. And and for you to to make sure that you're prepared to come for the receiving of the Word. And the only way I know to do that is to get you to have the same convictions that I do about the Word of God, about preaching, about our responsibility to God's Word when it's being preached. So what I want to do over the weeks to come is I want to try to share with you my convictions so that they would become your convictions as well. What I want to do is each week I'm going to share a different theological truth with you that I'm going to refer to as hearing aids. As hearing aids. Got that? And people are like, that's right, I need one. All right, all right. Here are hearing aids. These are theological truths and convictions that will help you to become a better hearer of God's Word. That it will help you to actually want to come to church. Wouldn't that be great? I mean, it would be great to actually want to be here, not coming out of some sense of guilt, but actually want to come, that you're coming more expectantly, that you're actually excited because you know what's about to happen in this service, and that because of this, that your life will be radically changed like never before. So let's start this morning with hearing aid number one. You ready? Hearing aid number one, here it is, first theological conviction of mine, which I hope it would be yours too, is God speaks. God speaks. That truth is found from Genesis to the book of Revelation, but we're going to look specifically at one passage of Scripture, Hebrews chapter 1 in verses 1 through 3 this morning, that conveys it, I think, in in, in a really great way. And so there are three things we want to see this morning underneath this, 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 this umbrella of God speaks, and that is God is the God who speaks. I know it sounds redundant, but I didn't know what else to do, but that, that is the first point. God is the God who speaks. Look at verse 1, if you will. The Bible says long ago, the author writes, long ago at many times, in many ways, God spoke to our fathers by the prophet. The key phrase in there is God spoke. When we say that God spoke or that God speaks, We're saying that God communicates with humankind, with people, with you and with me. This is so essential to your understanding and your view of who God is because not everybody believes that God speaks. The atheist doesn't believe that God speaks because he doesn't believe that God exists. There are others like um, uh, those of, uh, of the agnostics. They don't believe that God speaks either. In fact, they neither believe nor disbelieve the existence of God They just merely say there's no way as humans for us to know. So therefore, if we don't know, there's no way for us to know if he speaks. There are also deists who who would suggest that they do actually believe in God. There is a God. God is the one who created everything around us. He's the one that put it all into motion, but he's an impersonal God. He created it all and he steps back and he lets us just try to figure out this whole thing by ourselves. And the only way for us to know about God is not because he reveals it to us, but it's because you and I, we learn about God through, through thinking, through reasoning, and through observing the creation around us. So these are different biblical worldviews that people even hold today. But this is not the view in the teaching of the Word of God. The Bible teaches us that, listen, very simply, there is a God. And that this God, that we can know about this God, and we can even know that God in the primary way in which we know about him and come to know him personally is through the information that he communicates personally to us. See, we believe with the deist that there are certain things we can know about God through observation, through looking of creation. It's called general revelation. We can know there's a God. We can know he's powerful. We can know he's intelligent. 
but we can't really know him intimately apart from God revealing that truth to us. God is a God who speaks. He communicates with us. Now, here's the question. Why does God speak? Why does God speak? Well, first of all, it's because it is who he is. It's who he is. Now, I know this is a little theological, but stick with me. God communicates with us because by his nature, he's communicative. You're like, oh, dear Lord, where am I this morning, right? And what I mean by that is just because of how he exists, how does God exist? One God in three persons, right? God the Father, God the Son, God the Holy Spirit. So because he exists one God in three persons, we say that he is created in a way that is made to communicate one with another. In other words, what was God doing from eternity's past? Was God the Father, God the Son, God the Holy Spirit sitting in silence giving each other the eternal cold shoulder? No, they were in communication, one with another in perfect fellowship. You say, do we see that in the Word of God? Several places. Genesis 1.26, note, before God had created the earth in the creation account, the Bible says, then God said, let us create man an image after our likeness. So before the creation, before man's ever created, the Godhead, they're communicating one with another. Then we see another example of that in Genesis chapter 11 and verse 7. After man began to rebel against God at the Tower of Babel, and before he comes and, and he judges them, he says, Come, let us go down there and confuse their language so that they may not understand, so they may not understand one another's speech. So before man even existed, then even out of earshot of man, they're communicating one with another. Why? Because it's who God is, it's what he does according to his nature. If I were to say this in modern vernacular, I would use the example of the Geico commercial. And if they did one on God, which they've done on everything else, they would say, uh, if you're God, you communicate. It's what you do, right? Uh, it's what you do. Why? Because it's who he is. By his nature, he's communicative. So we know it's who he is, but it's also, get this, it's also because it is what he wants, in John chapter 4 and verse 23, maybe you're asking this morning, what does this God want from me? I'm about to answer that question, and you can immediately leave right after, all right? I'm just joking, don't leave. Uh, chapter 4, John chapter 4, Jesus said to the woman at the well, he says, but the hour is coming and now is here when the true worshipers will worship the Father in spirit and what, church? Truth. For the Father is seeking such people to worship him. What is God desiring? What is he longing for? He's longing for people to worship him. How? And he gives, it, he gives what kind of people? People who worship him in spirit, which means that they've been born again of the spirit, God's spirit. You have to worship him in spirit. He says, but then also in truth. You know what that means? God doesn't want us coming in here, gathered together, worshiping him for who we think he is or for who we want him to be. He wants us to worship him for who he actually is. And you and I, being finite beings, cannot know. God is beyond our comprehension. The only one to know, way to know who he is, to know what he is like, to know what his will is for us, know what it is that he desires and what he's done for us, is for him to communicate that truth to us. And that is what we, we call special revelation. God has to speak to us. He does. Why? It's who he is and it's because of what he wants. Now the question is, how does God speak? This is a great question for us this morning, right? How does God speak? Well, the author of, of, uh, of Hebrews tells us, note, he says that he has spoken in many ways 
or many times and in many ways. Do you know that? Now, two things. So first of all, he, speak, he spoke at many times. The phrase many times literally means in many portions. Here's what he means by that. From the beginning of creation of humanity, God began to reveal himself and what he was like and what his will was and what his big plan was for the universe and for humankind to different people in little bits and pieces of revelation over a long period of time. So in other words, he never sat down with Adam and Eve and said, I'm going to tell you everything there is that I want to know you to know about me. I want to tell you everything about my plan. I want to tell you everything there is to know for you uh, at this particular point. He didn't do it. He gave it at bits and pieces over a long period of time of what we call progressive revelation. So for example, the, through Abraham, God revealed his plan to bless all the nations of the world. Through Moses, he revealed his perfect law. Through David, he revealed the family by which the Messiah would come. Through prophets like Jonah, he, had, he gave him a glimpse of how the Messiah would ultimately save his people through a picture of his death, burial, and his resurrection. That's progressive revelation. He's given bits and pieces of revelation of who he is, what he is about, how to know him, not all in one time, but over a long period of time in different to different people. So he's spoken in many times, but also in many ways. He speaks in, he has spoken in many ways, the prophets, or the, uh, the writer of Hebrews says. What do we mean by that? Well, first of all, sometimes he spoke directly. That is that sometimes he came directly to mankind, looked him in the face, and he spoke with his own voice to them. Can you imagine? We see this happen with Adam and Eve as they fellowshiped in the cool of the day, as they walked with each other. Can you imagine? Where are you going? I'm just, I'm, honey, I just got to get out. I'm going to walk with God for a little bit. We're just going to spend a little time talking. And we're not talking figuratively, right? We're talking, he's going to be walking with me. He's going to be there. We're going to talk face to face. We see other passages. Genesis chapter 17 and verse 1. It says, when Abram was 99 years old, the Lord appeared to Abram and said to him, face to face. Exodus chapter 33 and verse 11 says, thus the Lord used to speak to Moses face to face as a man speaks to a friend. Even in the New Testament, we have an example of God speaking directly with his own voice to people. We see it at the baptism of Jesus when he's being baptized by John the Baptist. Do you remember this? He's down, he comes up from the water, and when he comes up from the water, those that are gathered hear the very voice of God who says, this is my beloved son with whom I am well pleased. So God is a God who communicates He's done it in many times. He's done it in many ways. What are some of those ways? Well, sometimes he does it directly, but the majority of the time he did it indirectly. That means it wasn't the voice of God people were hearing, his actual voice. He was speaking through other means. He was speaking through other ways. And he says here he spoke from the past through prophets specifically. And so when we look at the word of God, for example, in 2 Chronicles 18, 13, we hear the prophet Micah said, he says, as the Lord lives, what my God says, that will I speak. See that? So he's going to speak to the people, the, the prophet, on behalf of God. In Numbers chapter 22, in verse 37, just, bear, just stay with me. Balak said to the prophet Balaam, he says, did I not send to you, to you to call you? Why did you not come to me? Am I not able to honor you? Balaam, in response, he's the prophet, listen to his response, Behold, I have come to you. Have I now any power of my own to speak anything? The word that God puts in my mouth, 
That must I speak. So the people recognized the prophet as speaking on behalf of God. The prophet recognized that the words that he would speak were the very words of God. And this is affirmed by God himself. In Deuteronomy chapter 18, in verses 18 through 20, this is what God says. He says, I will raise up for them a prophet like you from among their brothers, and I will put my words in his mouth, and he will speak to them all that I command him. And whoever will not listen to my words that he shall speak in my name, I myself will require it of him. So not only are the prophets claiming to be speaking the words of God, God speaks in his own voice and tells the people, I'm going to choose prophets. I'm going to put my word in his mouth. And when he speaks, it is equally as authoritative as if I were speaking directly to you and you are hold to the same accountability of whether he's speaking or whether I'm speaking. You got that? So he, he comes to him. Wayne Grudem says it like this. He says, he says, writing of the Old Testament prophecies, he said, it is evident that although these are human words spoken in ordinary human language by ordinary human beings, the authority and the truthfulness of those words is in no way diminished. They're still completely God's words as well. So God has spoken in many times and in many ways. Let me just give you one more example of how he had spoken. It was not only through prophets, but he had also spoken through angels. Let me just give you one more example of this. And that is found, for example, angels actually are messengers. That's what the word angel means. They're messengers of God bringing the word of God. We see in, in, to Zechariah, you remember Zechariah in the New Testament? He is, he, he's, the, he's, the, um, he's, the, he's, he's the husband of... Remember he's in the holy place, in the holy of holies. He's a priest. And there an angel comes to him and begins to tell him that, guess what? His wife, his older, much older wife, is going to have a baby. And he's going to be the forerunner of the coming Messiah. And when he comes to him, this is what, this is what he says. He says, I am Gabriel. <clears throat> I stand in the presence of God. And I was sent to speak to you and to bring you this good news. So he shares this good news. What is Zachariah's response? Zachariah's response is, yeah, I don't think so. Yeah, that's probably not going to happen. I don't think so. So what happens? God disciplines him. Disciplines him for not believing the word of the angel. Why? Because the word of the angel is what? God's word. It's authoritative. For him to disobey the angel is to disobey God. Same consequence. Uh, we see uh, we see here, Hendrickson writes, he says, Gabriel is conscious of having delivered God's good news bound to be fulfilled when the appropriate season arrives. And because Zechariah has called in question a wonderful gospel promise that sprang from the heart and the mind of God himself, he deserves to be punished. So here's what the author is saying. He says, guys, we have a God who speaks. He has spoke, why? Because it's who he is. It's, it's based on what he wants to do. He wants you to worship him in truth. He's got to reveal that to you. And he says, and he has spoken it many times. Now, for the people during, that were during this time, they understand it. Through all the prophets, through angels, through different means, he spoke. And they would have understood that it was equally as authoritative to them. And they had received all these bits and pieces. But then he has a huge shift. They all get that. And he says, but now, but now, let me tell you how God speaks. He says, but now, it's point number two, God spoke most clearly and most fully through his son. Look at verse two. Verse two through three says, but 
In these last days He has spoken to us by His Son, whom He appointed the heir of all things, through whom also He created the world. He is the radiance of the glory of God and the exact imprint of His nature. He says, look, long ago God was giving you bits and pieces of truth about who He was over a long period of time in many ways, many different times. And He says, but now, you know how God has spoken to you most clearly, most fully? What he decided to do was with the sending of his son, who were we speaking about? The person of Jesus Christ. It's Jesus Christ to whom is the heir of all things. It's Jesus Christ to whom all things were created through him. He's, we, we agree, he's talking about Jesus, right? The son of God. When Jesus comes on the scene, he says, but he spoke most clearly and most fully than he did at any other time, revealing who he was, what he was like, and what his will is for you through the coming of Jesus Christ. Because this was his revelation to you. Why? Because he is the God made flesh, right? He's God incarnate. He's the incarnate word is what we talk about, which brings up another point. Have you ever noticed that, you know, John calls him the incarnate word, all right? The, the, the word made flesh. Why, why does John, you probably just read over this. Maybe we don't even ask this question, but why in the world does John refer to Jesus as the word? In John 1, in the beginning was the Word, and the Word was with God, and the Word was God, right? So we sit there and go, why didn't he just say, hey, you know what, in the beginning was Jesus, and Jesus was with God, and Jesus was God? Wouldn't that just kind of clear things up? Why does he call him Word, the Word Logos? Well, what does the Word do? It reveals. It reveals. And when he says, in the beginning was the Word, he says, in the beginning was the revelation, the full revelation of who God is and what he is all about. This is a beautiful picture that we have. He says, here's the word, and this is why, ultimately, this is why he says to him that he was the radiance of the glory of God and the exact imprint of his nature. When he says exact imprint, he's referring to a stamp in, in wax when they would seal something, a king would seal something. And that stamp and that wax, once it, once it got in, it dried a little bit, they'd pick that thing up, and you would see the exact imprint of whatever that stamp was. Why was God, Jesus Christ, the exact imprint of God? Because he was God in the flesh, the incarnate word, the perfect expression of what God was like, of what he was about, of what, uh, 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 of what he would do, of what his will was, of what his will is for you, the expression of the person of Jesus Christ. This is why Paul would say in Colossians chapter 2, and verse 9, for he himself is the whole fullness of deity that dwells bodily within and this is why, this is, my, this is my, one of my favorite times. Philip comes to Jesus, and he, and he decides he's going to ask Jesus for something. And he asks him, he says, in John 14, 8, he says, Lord, show us the Father, and it will be enough for us. Well, that's great, Philip. I'm, that will be enough for you? You just want to see God? You just want to see the creator of the universe? Yeah, I'm, I'm glad it takes so little for you to be content. And he says, just show us God, and we'll be content. We'll be fine. Here's how Jesus responds to him. Very next verse, Jesus said to him and said, whoever has seen me has seen the Father. I'm the perfect and full revelation. God has never spoken louder than when I came in the perfect time in history and came. You see me, you see the Father. You want to know what he's about? You then know what I'm about. You want to know his will? Then look at my will. Know my will. Because I am God in flesh. Now that brings us to the third point and probably the most argumentative for even believers 
who are here this morning. And you're like, third point, does that mean it's coming to you then? Yeah, so get excited. Third point, God speaks to us today. God speaks to us today. God speaks to us today. Do you believe that? It is my conviction that God speaks. I know to my very fabric that God speaks. But I understand with that statement, I say it and mean one thing, and many others, even in this room, think it and believe in a completely different way than I do. Remember, we want to try to have the same biblical conviction of how God speaks. See, we live, and I think I have to clarify, we live in, we who live in the 21st century, it is the 21st century, right? Okay, 21st century, make sure I get confused on that. The 21st century, and I'm the one teaching you about God, right? And he gets the century, right? And so, so we live in the 21st century, and because we do, we're challenged. We're challenged because God no longer shows up and speaks to us face to face. We, we, we don't audibly hear God's actual speaking voice as Abraham did, as Moses did, as, as Adam did. We, we, we don't have that. And we, we can't see the physical body of Jesus Christ. We, we can't even sit down at his feet as Mary did and just enjoy hearing him as, as Martha gets all cantankerous in the kitchen and just listen to him speak. And the truth is coming directly from the mouth of God, hearing it and the very voice of God. We, we don't get that. But yet, my resolve and my conviction is still that God speaks. You say, well, how does he speak to us today? And what I would ultimately say there is just as the prophets spoke, God spoke through the prophets in an audible voice. And just as he spoke in the New Testament through his incarnate, or through an audible word, And then in the time of Christ, through his incarnate word, he speaks to us today through his written word. Through his written word. This idea of God writing down the scriptures and his word and preserving them is nothing new. It actually began with God. When God first gave the Ten Commandments to Moses, he wrote them down. He, meaning God, wrote them down. Exodus chapter 31, verse 18 says they were written with the finger of God. God began to write down the commands for the people for them to be preserved for his people to come. Uh, we, We read again, he actually goes on to command Moses. When he begins to give him more of the law, he commands him to write these things down. We we know that the prophets were not only commanded to be able to speak the word of God. But on many occasions, they were, they were called to write down very carefully the very words of God. We see an example of this in Isaiah chapter 30 in verse 8. He says, And now go write it before them on a tablet and inscribe it in a book that it may be for the time to come as a witness forever. So throughout the Old Testament, God is revealing himself to people audibly But in the process, he is leading them to write what it is that he's revealing about himself and his will down to be preserved forever. So they see it in the Old Testament. We get to the New Testament. The same action continues with the apostles. The apostles are now writing down, and those closely associated with apostles, they're writing down the very words of God 
recording them, storing them so that we know who God is. So we know what he is like, so that we know what it is that he demands of us, so that he knows his ultimate sovereign plan and will for us. All of this is being written down. And then when they get to the conclusion, to the end of the book of Revelation, that's it. That's all that God wants to say with us is found within the word of God, that what we call the completed canon of the word of God from Genesis to the book of Revelation. That's why I say that God speaks. Now, let me back up for just a moment. In some ways... God has stopped speaking. And what I mean by that is he has stopped speaking in the sense that he is no longer giving us any more new revelation. New revelation is giving us something new that he hasn't already taught us before that's confound in the word of God. He's not teaching us anything more. We're not coming up with, you know, revelation part two. Here's Revelation part two. Here it is. You know, there's a couple things I forgot. I'm just going to keep adding to this book and adding to this book. If, if that's you, this is the wrong church, go and see the Mormons. They have several other books of continuing, of continuing Revelation, right? We believe it's all here. And that when we say that he's no longer speaking, he's no longer speaking in giving us new revelation that has not already been revealed to us who he is, about what he wants, about how we need to know him, about what it is that we need to know. He doesn't tell us everything we want to know, but he tells us everything we need to know for life and for godliness. So in some ways, he's, he's, he's no longer speaking, but, but what he has within the word of God is, again, his very word. 2 Peter 1.21 says this, For no prophecy, speaking of the scriptures, was ever produced by the will of man, but men spoke from God as they were carried along by the Holy Spirit. Driscoll, Mark Driscoll and Brashears in, the, in their book on doctrine, uh, entitled Doctrine, says this. Listen very carefully. The means that men uh, who wrote, th- this means that men who wrote the Bible were providentially prepared by God and motivated and superintended by the Holy Spirit. They spoke and they wrote according to their own personalities and circumstances in such a way that their words are the very word of God. God's supernatural guidance of the writers and their situation enabled them to receive and to communicate all would God would have us know for his glory and for our salvation contained within. They, God wasn't dictating the words per se, but he, the Holy Spirit came upon them in such a way and used their own personalities and used their own level of education and used their own slang terms and he moved them in a very real way so that even though he used them to write down his words, those words were the very words of God and equally as authoritative as if he were to show up and speak to you face to face. In some ways, he has stopped speaking and the fact that there is no more new revelation. However, in other ways, he speaks to us all the time. He has not stopped speaking No longer do we provide new revelation. Instead, he speaks to us every time we broke open the book. Every time we read the scriptures. Every time the word of God is being preached, God is speaking to us. And what is being spoken, when accurate, we'll look at this next week, when accurate, it is as binding as if God were to say it to you face to face. He has nothing more to say apart from what he's already said within the Word of God. James Adams writes, 
It is as much God's word as if it were spoken audibly from his own mouth. If you were literally to hear God's voice, he would say nothing more, nothing less, and nothing different than what he's already said in this book. It is to be read, it is to be heard and obeyed as fully as any literally breathed out words of God would be. The truth that I've just shared with you is one of the primary convictions of the Reformers before the the Protestant Reformation in the late 1500s and the 1600s. The, the, The church, the Catholic church, had come to the point to where they really didn't believe that the Word of God was the ultimate authority. They believed that the Pope, when he spoke ex cathedra, that was in an official capacity of the church, that that was the ultimate authority. They believed the greater authority was in the tradition of the church. And men like Luther and Calvin and and Swingley and all these men are like, no, no. How have we lost the authority of the word? How have we lost the fact that this is God's word and nothing else supersedes it? And so what they begin to do is they came up with the statement, the statement phrase sola scriptura, which means nothing judges scripture, but the scripture judges everything. This was the view of them. This is why they were willing to give their lives. This is why they wanted the people to have the word of God in their hands. Because how can they hear God speak apart from what? The word of God. It was their conviction. It was the authority. And I would dare say it's the conviction that our churches must get back to. That God is not speaking in some esoteric, strange, eat a late burrito night God speak to me because people are saying, I just need a word from God. I need a word from God. Be in his word. If you want him to speak, be in it. Be in it consistently, faithfully, work through it. You said it's hard. You have no idea how hard it is. No matter how many degrees behind my name, whatever it is, I still get to it going, what? Huh? Huh? I Really? And you're still working through. I get it. But what else are we going to do? How else are you going to hear from God? How else are you going to know him? How else are you going to know about him? How are you going to worship him in spirit and in truth if if we're not in it and saturated in it? There's no other way. Now, I think at this point I have to do some correction and and maybe heal up. Here's the, that's the prophetic side. Here's the, 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 the pastoral side. I know that there were people who were angry when they said, I'm angry that you say that God no longer speaks in special revelation anymore. We have people in the churches that are still, still suggesting that, that there are. And it's just simply not true. Look at the facts. Two things. Number one, number one, God rarely ever spoke to people directly with his own voice, even when he was doing it. Throughout all the course of history, we have a very limited number of times when God is speaking directly face-to-face to people, and now everyone's like, God, yeah, still speaks. I still hear his very voice. I don't think it's his very voice that he's speaking to you about. It's inconsistent with the teaching of the word of God. Second, I would say, why in the world does he have to speak to you in an audible voice when he has spoken fully and completely with everything you have to know with the completed canon of Scripture? Does have anything else to say apart from the revelation that he's already provided for us. Now, for some people, it doesn't make them mad. For some people, really, the truth that I've just preached really makes them sad. Because in some ways, they begin to think to themselves, well, maybe we're at some kind of disadvantage. No, it'd be so much easier, wouldn't it, if God would just come and just speak face to face with me? Boy, those guys really had it made. 
Or man, how, or, or, or how good would it be if we are actually in the presence of Jesus? And I agree. It would be so great to be in that type of actual physical location of Jesus. We do know that he's in us. He dwells within us through the Holy Spirit. But the reason we're longing for heaven is why? Because, because grandma's there. Because there's a crystal sea. You can fish all the big crystal bass you can catch. No, Jesus is there. That's why we long to be there. Jesus is there. So I get that. But here's the idea is we are at no disadvantage at all for not living those times. We are in the most advantaged time because we have the completed canon of Scripture. Everything that God would have us to know is contained within the Scriptures that you and I have available access to every single day. We have four things. We have a much more accurate preservation of God's Word. How many of y'all's memory is good? If you forgot what I said, I said, how many of y'all's memory is good? Right? My wife's memory is terrible. But it's so good sometimes, you know, and I mean, if I was deceptful, it would really pay great dividends to me, right? What I love about her forgetfulness is she forgets when I screw up. She actually, men, right? There's something positive, right? And so, so, I mean, when I mess up, I'm like, yeah, well, I forgot about that. when When did you do that? The bad part is when I do something good, she didn't remember that either. But, but there, you know, you got to live, you know, with both sides. And so, but, but can you imagine if God sat down with you? And let me ask you how you guys would do if you sat down. I mean, I'd rather him speak to me face to face. If he came down and said, ready, I'm going to tell you everything you need to know. Start your clock, go. And over the next 24 hours, he just spoke to you face to face, telling you everything you need to know. You walked away. How much do you remember after that point? Nothing. We're at utter utter advantage of having the word written down, no disadvantage, we have the opportunity for repeated inspection. Everything that I say every single Sunday morning, you, and we'll get into this, you like the Bereans are allowed to be able to take it and you'll be able to go, is that really true? And you could take it and you could rehash it and you could look at it. Is that really what the word says? And you could either say truth or false based on that. So why? Because we could, we could go back to it time and time again for inspections. Having it written down allows us to study it uh, more precisely and to obey it more accurately. Number three, we are able to convey to others the certainty that what we are saying to each other is from God. How many times have I heard in my life, God's telling me, God's told me, God's whatever. And you know, the majority of the time when somebody tells you that, what do you do? Well, I guess if God told you to do it, (laughs) all right, go ahead. Right? I mean, really sounds kind of stupid and really anti what the Word of God clearly teaches, but who am I to say whether God's teaching you or not? Do you know how many wasted moments in my life have been wasted with that conversation? God told me. How do you know? I just, just kind of feel it. Really, where do you feel it at? Like over here? Maybe a little bit down here in your tum-tum? Is that, is that where, you're, where you're feeling it? Now listen, I'm not trying to, well, I am trying to make light, but I'm not trying to say that the Holy Spirit doesn't work in us in an amazing way, but he always works consistently with affirming the truth that is already found within the Word of God. That's how he speaks. That's the way the Holy Spirit works. Are are you with me? So with all that said, let let me just say this. So with the written Word of God, we are at greater advantage than those who audibly heard the voice of God 
and who with their own eyes saw the person of Christ because we have the whole revelation of God of all that he wants us to do right here within us. This is my conviction. This is the beginning of my conviction in the preaching of the word of God. When we preach, that's why we preach the word of God. Because apart from it, God is not speaking. Let me ask you this. Are you in the word? You might be desiring for God to speak. Nick, come at this time if you will. There, there, you might be desiring for God to be speaking. You say, I need a word for God. Just saturate the word of God. Where do you get? Just start somewhere. Just get in it, man. Just jump in that thing. Begin to teach and understand and, and, and do one-on-one discipleship and learn how to rightly divide the word of truth and get in there and be saturated with it. I guarantee God's going to be speaking so much. You're going to sit there and sometimes you go, no mas, no mas. I can't take anymore at this point. You've given me enough to work on. I don't know. And some people are empty. Look, look, and there's no relationship with God. And, and, and you've come to the point right now that it's so dry. It's so dry in your walk with God. It's just come to church, do your thing, have family, go to work. It's so dry. Any relationship's dry if you're not speaking, if you're not talking, if you're not learning about each other and having times of intimacy with each other. It's there for you. His word, all you need to know is there. And what you need to know this morning is that this whole book from beginning to end is about God's redemptive plan for mankind. That is, man blew it. God in his goodness and his grace sent his only son, Jesus Christ, to die on the cross. So who would ever would repent of their sin and place their faith in the completed work of Jesus Christ would have eternal life, be changed in the image and likeness of Christ's son and have true meaning in life. Is that what you want? That's what you want. That truth only comes through this word. Let's pray. Dear Jesus, we come to you. We thank you this morning for your goodness. We thank you for your grace. God, I pray this morning that you would move in the hearts of our people. I pray that you've been moving all this time. I have to trust. I have to trust that this conviction, this biblical conviction, is not just mine, but it's the people in this church. How would you drive it into our hearts? Would you save some this morning? Do whatever it is that you want to do with the preaching of your word. In Jesus' name we pray, amen. Would you stand? Mm -hmm.